Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Anne Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. Today, hosts Anne Donahoe and Nick Obich are talking with Heather Cabot, journalist and author of the just published book, The New Chardonnay, the unlikely story of how marijuana went mainstream which was just named a Good Morning America must-read for August. Heather is an award-winning journalist and serves on the alumni board of the Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism. She's a former ABC News correspondent and anchor and former digital lifestyle editor for Yahoo. Heather has appeared on Good Morning America, Today, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, and dozens of local TV and radio stations. She's a contributor to Forbes and is the co-author of the acclaimed book, Geek Girl Rising. So don't sit back, lean forward. Now on to our conversation with Anne, Nick, and Heather. Heather Cabot, we are so excited to be talking to you today. We are um, on the heat. Well, recording this on the 10th. Your book comes out the 11th. We're so excited. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself before we we dive into the book? I actually also think the first time I met you in person, I have this vision of us meeting at the High Times Women 20 or top top 20 women in cannabis in Los Angeles. That's right, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, unless I, unless I met in New York, because I did meet some of your colleagues um, at the Cannabis, Cannabis Business Expo. Oh, I think it was like the summer of 2018. I met some of your colleagues there as well. But um, but it's great to be here. That's like a hundred years ago, so I can't remember that. <laughs> I know, and I, I and I know in your world, right? It's it's like uh, things go by so quickly. Oh my god, it's it's like beyond. what do they say? It's like in dog years, right? Yeah. It's just one month equals like seven years, and yeah, or one year equals seven years. So, um, thank you so much for having me. I I really appreciate it. Um, and I've been so fortunate to meet so many people like you around, around, you know, across this entire, uh, country and uh, through the years of researching this book, I've been so fortunate to, um, you know, have, have had the opportunity to meet so many people who were interested in lending their expertise to me, you know, cause I really was coming in as an outsider. So my background is I'm a longtime journalist. Um, I began my career in broadcasting. I was a local TV news reporter and anchor for many years in markets all over the country. Um, and then I went to ABC news and I was a, uh, a correspondent there, um, for good morning America and world news tonight. And I also anchored the overnight news world news now, um, and then I transitioned uh, and got into the digital world and worked for Yahoo for a number of years as um, their sort of uh, web life editor of this internet um, lifestyle expert. And I used to do all their national media appearances. And then I, from that, I, I got into uh, long form and writing books. And um, so, which is really an amazing luxury for a journalist to be able to spend years and years re researching a topic. Um, so my first book uh, came out in 2017, and it's called Geek Girl Rising Inside the Sisterhood Shaking Up Tech. Uh, it was published by St. Martin's. It was optioned actually by Kelly Ripa for a TV development. And, um, and that book actually, in a lot of ways, and we can talk about this more in the interview, that book really inspired this book. Really? Yeah. 
tell us about the, the, the genesis of this book idea. We know that you kind of got started with the, the trip to Vegas for MJ BizCon, which is a ginormous show and can be really daunting for anybody that's new to the industry. So, so how, how come cannabis? So in Geek Girl Rising, so Geek Girl Rising is about the sisterhood of Silicon Valley and these women who at the grassroots level who have been ad- advocating for years for um, a seat at the table. And there's a chapter in that book about female angel investors and VCs who are backing women-led tech startups. And so I'd gotten to know a number of these women. I, I also had made some investments myself, you know, separate from um, writing the book. And I noticed that some of the women in my network who I considered to be very mainstream, um, were making angel investments in cannabis companies. This was like in the spring of 2017, right when my other book was coming out. And I just kind of filed it away. And I was like, that's really interesting. interesting. I don't know anything about this. (laughs) I was like, why is this person that, you know, has this Wall Street background, you know, who I think of as like very straight laced, you know, why would they want to invest in something federally illegal? Like that just completely boggled my mind. And just for background, and I talk about this in the book in the introduction, like I grew up in the 80s. I grew up squarely in the just say no generation. Like I grew up watching all of those PSAs about this is your mm-hmm. brain on drugs. Mm-hmm. With I the also egg, had the cracking of the egg, right? With the, with the, with the, yeah, for any of you youngins out there, you know, it's this P- PSA <laughs> that has this like ominous voiceover and this, you know, this guy cracking, you know, an egg on a hot frying pan and says, this is your brain on drugs. And that's the world I came out of. I grew up in Arizona. And, um, so, hey, Arizona so, love. Yeah, I'm from Phoenix myself. <laughs> oh, really? Where, yeah. Where'd you go to high school? Desert Vista. I, I know it was not open in the 80s. <laughs> right. So I went, I went to Sunny Slope. Oh, and cool. um, so what's really funny is that the book, if you, you know, as you read in the book, the book really takes me to Arizona and Arizona's medical market, which I, I didn't realize that that was all going to gonna happen. But it, it ended up that there's a, there's a big Arizona part of this book. Um, but anyway, so so for me, this this mom of teens, you know, I'm a suburban mom of teens, grew up during Just Say No. And then I'm meeting these people in my in my network who I consider very upstanding, and I just could not understand that. So I started calling them, and I started chatting with them about why they were making these investments and what it was all about. And from those conversations with people you probably know, like Jean Sullivan um, from RPU, right? She said, "You've really got if you if you're really interested in this topic, like one phone call with me is not going to." help you understand what's happening. You, you, ha- you have to go to MJ BizCon. You, you need to just go there, walk the expo floor, meet the folks that are building this industry to, because she said, it's just, you have to see it for yourself. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I went and I didn't, and I did not, I think I, I had done, I had just started doing a few pieces for Forbes because I, I had been writing for Forbes before about women in tech and diversity in the innovation economy. And so I already kind of had that going on. So I, I said to them, you know, I'm thinking about researching this book on cannabis. Um, do you mind if I start writing about women in cannabis? Because I already sort of had, you know, the, I was writing for Forbes Women. And so they, they said, great. So I did a couple of pieces before the conference. And so there were just a few people that I knew. Aliza um, Sherman from Elementa I had talked to. I had interviewed Cassandra Farrington. Um, and, you know, the founder of, of MJ Biz Daily and MJ BizCon. And, and, but other than those few people, like, I really didn't know anyone. And it was actually the best thing because I walked in with completely fresh eyes. 
I mean, what kind of preconceived notions did you have? You know, you, you mentioned, you know, being raised in the eighties, um, you know, how did you, let me ask this question in a different way. Have you, did you have experience with cannabis before you started writing this book? Really none at all. Like very little. I had the experience that probably, you know, most of, you know, middle America that grew up during my generation did, you know, maybe in college, like nothing. I did not know anything about cannabis subculture. I certainly, and I am, you know, I'm embarrassed to acknowledge this and I certainly am talking about it now, but, you know, as a person, um, you know, who, who grew up with white privilege, like I did not understand the connection to the war on drugs. I did Mm -hmm. not understand the injustices I didn't, I did not understand. It just wasn't in my realm at all. And in fact, that was actually one of the social justice aspects of this story also really drew me in because at the same time, while I saw these folks in my network who clearly were investing and capitalizing on this new industry, I found it really disturbing that there were folks whose lives had been ruined um, by, you know, being in the wrong place at the wrong time and, um, you know, or, or were incarcerated as I was reporting the book. And, um, so all of those things really, really intrigued me. So as far as my, I think you're asking about my preconceived notions, the preconceived notions are the ones that everyone has about, you know, that, that go back to the stigma, you know, which I thought, you know, I was going to walk in and everyone, everyone was going to be stoned and it was going to hard to find someone to, I, I wouldn't be able to find anybody to interview because everyone was <laughs> going to be, you know, like, I didn't know. I mean, yeah. I really didn't know. And uh, like the only, the only experience I really had was, you know, besides like, you know, like I said, like the ones that most people have had, um, of my generation, you know, was like watching weeds mm-hmm. on Showtime, yep. you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, now I will say, and I, I talked about in the, in the acknowledgements in the book, my husband, who is now uh, a media executive. My husband was a 60 minutes producer for many years. And prior to that, he actually, and we've been together since we went to Columbia journalism school together many, many years ago. And he, in his first job, he was a, a, um, a production uh, assistant for Peter Jennings, the great Peter Jennings. And Peter Jennings at ABC had a documentary unit. And while we were dating, um, ABC News and Peter Jennings did an entire hour in prime time. I believe it was in 1997. And it was about cannabis. And it was the show was called Pot of Gold. And it was all about these illegal growers. It was all about these folks around the country that, you know, were growing um, you know, whether it was in hydroponic setups or it was like farmers in Georgia. And so my husband was a field reporter on that documentary. And so, and we were, he was my boyfriend at the time and he had, and that, that show was the program. If you go back and look it up, it is the one that declared cannabis America's top cash crop at wow, that time. Wow. And it, it, it garnered like massive ratings. It was one of the most watched Peter Jennings specials like ever, Um, and so we were dating at that time. And so that was another thing, you know, I, I remembered all the stories that he told me about, you know, going down to Bacon County, Georgia and meeting these farmers, you know, who were growing it in between, you know, their crops and what was happening with the local sheriff and the cat and mouse game. And it was just really interesting. And so that's, again, like when I, when I started seeing these people that I knew from the investment world, it just, I, it, 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 I just found it like this Alice in Wonderland moment. And so that's walking into that conference and seeing people in their sweater vests 
like what I had seen in Silicon Valley, you know, in their sweater vests and hoodies and their lanyards and their swag bags and their laptops and legal pads, taking notes at the crash course on weed. It was really not what I thought. And, and it was really at that moment that I thought this could be a really interesting story because I consider myself pretty knowledgeable of having been a news reporter for many, many years. It just, it, I felt like this wasn't a story that was being told in the mainstream yet, really. I know CNBC was covering it somewhat during those years. Um, but other than CNBC, you really, you really weren't going to see it many other places. And certainly my contemporaries didn't know about it. It's funny you mentioned that documentary was 1997, you said? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so they, so I um, record 60 Minutes and kind of watch snippets of it like whenever I can. And uh, this last week, I guess it was, they did um, a whole like 15 minute segment on um, the black market in California and how it's still three yes. times the size yes. and all of it. So mm -hmm. I find it so funny that all these years later, you know, there are still stories being written about, you know, these, these illegal um, farmers and, and the fact that, yes, while it's legal now in some capacity in some states, um, it doesn't mean that the black market goes away or the illicit market goes away. Um, and, and, well, and in fact, yeah. it's kind of flourished in, in weird ways. Well, and I, I definitely address both. And I think, I think that's something that um, the public also doesn't really understand, which is why I know they did. I said uh, that that piece was actually a re-air from a few months ago. Um, we still watch 60 Minutes with our kids on Sundays. <laughs> and um, that was a, I think it was a Sharon Alfonsi piece. But Oh, yeah, it was. You know, I, I didn't I, realize it was a re-air. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, okay. I must was. have missed it, it my was, first it time around. Yeah. It was like a pre-COVID piece. I yes. think it was like in January. Because I remember watching it and I remember saying to my husband, and like, no offense in 60 minutes, but I was like, this it was really annoying me because I was like, this is all the reporting I've been doing the last few years. And they're just catching up to it. But, um, you know, but I, I think that there's a misconception on the part of the public, certainly that, um, and, and I think in a lot of places, people were convinced by politicians that the illicit market was going to go away. And I certainly think, I mean, I'm sure you guys see this with your clients. I think people really underestimated how robust um, in many markets that, um, that, you know, the, the competition from the, uh, from the unregulated market, how that is continues to be um, a, a problem. And, um, and, 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 and I think, it's probably going to continue to be a problem, right? Until a lot of things happen, whether it's tax reform, it's education, it's, there's a lot of, you know, product innovation. There's a lot of different things. I mean, certainly you're seeing what's happening in Canada. I mean, that, that, I think they definitely underestimated the appeal. And I think it really remains to be seen what's going to happen in the pandemic, to be honest with you, because I think we haven't seen, um, and this is just my personal opinion. I, I, I think we have not seen the ultimate ripple effect of this economic downturn. And I think that it will be interesting to see what happens when people are really struggling economically and they cannot afford to buy it legally. And, you know, what, what happens? I, I, I don't, I don't know, but I, I, I think it's something that, that certainly industry analysts are, are watching. I know they're tracking sales, um, but that stockpiling behavior we saw in the beginning um, I, I, you know, I, I think no one knows what's going to happen with COVID. You know, I think it's just so sad um, that we're sort of back. You know, we've had so many setbacks. I mean, here I am in New York and, um, you know, we're starting to feel like we're getting back to normal somewhat. But then you look at the rest of the country and it's really scary. It's so a mess. I, just, yeah. so I don't know. But anyway, but I, I do think the illicit market is something that and then, of course, 
you know, there's there, there's the competition in the illicit market. And then, of course, there's the whole question of banking reform and mm-hmm. what's going to happen with that. And it, certainly that is going to make a difference, you know, when you're not dealing with cash anymore. And it just legitimizes things one step further. Um, but I don't know. You know, I think there are just a, a lot, a lot of a lot of unknowns. But anyway, I do talk about the illicit market in the book at, at length. Yeah, I want to dive in a little bit more in, into the actual book now. And because, you know, you wrote it, it's a nonfiction book, but I think it's really interesting how you tell it because you, you kind of have a, a cast of characters of very well known people within the industry. You talked about uh, Best of All already. Um, you, you follow along with Bruce Linton, Snoop Dogg, Ted Chunk. Can you talk about like how you came to, you know, deciding that this is how you want to write this book? Well, I knew after meeting some of the people initially, I, I, first of all, let me take a step back. This is an incredibly complex topic to explain to people who don't know anything about it. So, and it touches on so many complex, nuanced things. Like we said, social justice, but there's, you know, there's science, there's business, there's politics. I mean, there's so many Healthcare. aspects to yep. it. Oh, yeah. Healthcare. I mean, literally, like we could go on and on, right? So I really wanted to, I wanted to challenge myself and I wanted to write something that I thought would be entertaining. And I felt like this was such a rich topic that I could certainly find um, different storylines. And in the end, what I decided to do is I, I decided to choose four main characters that I thought in some ways represented different aspects of the story I wanted to tell. And um, so, you know, we, the book starts with Beth Stavola. I love the fact that she allowed me to spend time with her as she was building her multi-state operation. And I, di- I didn't feel from the other cannabis books that had been written to this point that that actually had been covered yet. And I just thought it was a really interesting phenomenon. I also thought that it gave you a real flavor of how difficult it is to scale these businesses and how um, fragmented the, the market is, and then also the whole issue around capital with it being federally legal. So I, I, of course, you know, when I first met her, I didn't, I didn't know that that's what I was going to initially, you know, I didn't know that she was going to have this merger with Iantis. I didn't know any of that. <laughs> and um, the same thing with all the characters, like you can imagine, I didn't know Bruce Linton was going to get fired. I mean, I had no idea. And I remember when that happened and I had just been with him two weeks before I had just been in Smith Falls with him. He was giving me a tour of the new visitor center and the new, um, uh, like staff, uh, it's not, not a break room. It's not, they don't have a cafeteria there cause they want the, they wanted the employees to eat in the town and patronize all the local businesses, but they have like a beautiful kind of like a, it's a lunchroom. And so he was showing me that. And, and then I, we, was, we did this great interview about beverages and everything. And then I come back and my husband is in the car and he was listening to CNBC and he go, turn on CNBC right now. <laughs> <laughs> and it was Bruce doing the interview. And I'm like, Oh my God. And I was like, Oh no. And, but then I realized I was like, well, I guess, actually like that's kind of that's like the end of his story you know like so everybody has not only do they represent different aspects of how this industry has grown but also everybody I chose has a pretty definite narrative arc so I I wanted I was really thinking as I was sitting down to write I wanted to include people that really had a beginning middle and an end um because that's just good writing and but you don't you don't know that it's just I mean that's an amazing um it's an amazing thing when it actually happens, but you don't know when you're reporting initially that that's where the stories are going to go. And so I really had to wait 
a long time until I was finally ready to sit down um, and figure out kind of like how they, how the stories were going to intertwine and, and how they all were going to fit together. But I really wanted to make sure that each person had a beginning, middle and end. Um, so yeah, so that was, and then, so it's, it's Beth, Bruce, and then um, Ted Chung, who's, you know, Snoop Dogg's right-hand man. And, and then Jeff Danzer, Jeff, the 420 chef. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, people were like, why did you choose Jeff? I, Jeff, I, I thought in many ways to me represented, um, the everyman, you know, he didn't mm-hmm. come from, he didn't come from Wall Street. He wasn't independently wealthy. He didn't, but he had this vision about normalizing cannabis. And I just loved, I, I what I liked for, again, a mainstream audience was through Jeff, I could actually explain, um, I could explain the science of the plant. I could explain some of the potential therapeutic benefits. I could explain the different forms and the different ways people in the future would be consuming cannabis. Um, I could get into the whole aging and the senior market through his parents. So there were different ways that through Jeff's story that I could take the audience into these different worlds and address different aspects. So, um, and the same thing with Ted and Snoop, you know, I really wanted to talk about pop culture. I want, and I wanted to talk about obviously um, the war on drugs. And so through, through them, I was able to, to do that as, as well. Um, so yeah, that was, I mean, there are a million people I could have chosen, honestly, like I mean, really, uh, like, and uh, you guys know. Yeah. I mean, oh, they, yeah. and they, everyone has a fascinating, you know, cannabis journey and, you know, uh, just following on the, the conversation about Jeff, um, you know, I, I think you, you also did a really great job, um, well, I guess I'll ask this in two questions, in, in two ways, um, talking about cannabis's place in society now. And, you know, you, you, you pick Chardonnay, you know, as, as the, the title of the book, um, or the new Chardonnay is the title of the book. Um, and it, it really is talking about, you know, um, the rising demographic of women using cannabis. Um, and mm-hmm. when you're talking about, you know, Jeff, Jeff, the 420 chef, um, you're also talking about, you know, the infused, the infused products and, and kind of the introduction of a new demographic of being seniors, um, into this, mm-hmm. into this industry. And, and it's not just, you know, the hippies from the sixties and seventies, these are adults who are in pain. They can't sleep. Um, can you talk about what it's like talking to this like quote, new generation of consumers? Well, I would say that the most, um, and I, I was really fortunate that I was able to be in some situations where people were experimenting for the first time or were coming to learn about cannabis. And that was really eye-opening for me, also because I live in New York. So it'd be very different if I lived in California, but I was doing this on these trips out to different legal markets. Um, so in California, I had the opportunity, like one of the most eye-opening opportunities that I had that I wrote about was I, I went on the cannabis shuttle from Laguna Woods Village in Orange <laughs> yes. County, right? To yeah, the, please talk to, about uh, this shuttle. <laughs> yep. Um, well, it was great. I mean, they were, so I found out about it from this. So I had interviewed, uh, Kimberly Dillon, I'm sure you know from, um, she was the former CMO of Papa and Barkley. Uh-huh. And she was really fascinating. And she was talking to me and she's, she's now gone on to do her own startup. Um, but she was talking to me really, I mean, she really laid out for me the different demographics that Papa and Barkley um, was, was trying to hit. And um, she was, and they sponsored this cannabis shuttle. 
And so she made an introduction. I ran into her again, actually, I was at the New West Summit in Oakland. Um, and while I was there, I said, you know, I, I'm going to come back to California. I'd love to meet some of these people. I want to talk to them about why they're doing this and what their past experiences are. And so she made a call and connected me with Candace Hawes from the Orange County um, Normal um, who, who was actually the person that goes on the bus with the seniors. And I spent the day with them and I went with them and um, it was lovely. I mean, it was just, it was really interesting. The, the folks were so, um, they were just really open about the fact that they were, that main concerns were pain. A lot of people were in pain. Mm -hmm. A lot of people were um, one lady in particular uh, who let me take her picture. Um, she was in a, um, uh, she had a, one of those, you know, walkers on wheels and she had come with her husband and her, her uh, she actually didn't ride on the bus. She actually met us at the dispensary, but she came to the, um, they usually, what they do is they have, they serve lunch and they have an information session for the seniors before they even go into the dispensary. And then they have different brands present and explain to them different types of products. Um, and this woman was telling me a story about how she was on multiple, you know, multiple um, over-the-counter drugs, multiple um, for, like she had, I'm um, trying to remember, she had, um, she was dealing with pain. Oh, she'd had a bad reaction to one opioid that she was on and she fainted. And she just, it, it was really, she was probably in her late seventies. Um, and she really was there because she was at her wit's end and she was scared and she didn't want to get addicted to, um, to an opioid. And her son had said, I think you should check this out. And I mean, she was just like so many of the seniors that I, that I met. And along the way, I will tell you, like, as I started being more open with my circle, like that I was working on this project, um, I can't tell you like how many of my parents' friends or like yeah. how many people and relatives, you know, were asking me about this because my neighbor is this nice man who um, lived next door to us. You know, he was taking a tincture for his arthritis and he wanted me to look at the label and because he, because he was, you know, wanted to make sure it was a good brand. And, you know, so I think what I, what I came away with is that there's a real appetite for um, good information and there. And obviously, as you know, from all of the, um, you know, consumer insights that have come out recently, there's a lot of confusion and a, and a real big opportunity, I think, for brands to really fill that gap into the knowledge gap and help people understand, um, you know, what what the possibilities are, what the, what the potential efficacy is of some of these products and what the risks are. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that's another problem with particularly with CBD. Um, I, I it, I mean, we're obviously dealing with COVID, so I realize that the FDA has other things happening, but yeah. it astounds me that there's just been this influx of products. It's literally an explosion, and and the FDA has not really issued guidelines, clear guidelines on, you know, how these companies should be doing business and how they should be uh, educating consumers and health claims and all of this stuff. And I know they've made, they've cracked down on some, but you guys know, it's like the products are everywhere. And, and it, and it, to me, it's sad because I think there are people that really could benefit from good products that are good quality and, and, um, you know, for certain, for certain things, but there's a lack of education and, um, and a lack of oversight certainly in the, you know, in the, in the, the hemp derived CBD market that we're seeing. But anyway, but back to your question, <laughs> I was just really, I was really um, moved by the number of people, older people who really, really were looking for some kind of natural alternative to what they were dealing with, um, what they were getting prescribed from their doctors. And actually one of the things that I did get to do that unfortunately didn't make it into the book 
and I mean, there's so many things that didn't make it into the book was I went, when I was in Laguna Woods Village, I had a chance to go over to Saddleback Hospital where there was an Israeli company that was just about to open their doors for a cannabis um, clinic at this hospital. Um, they were working with the administration there and they were going to be um, running studies on patients um, who were prescribed various uh, cannabis products. Oh, and wow. which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. And, um, I actually need to circle back with them. Um, but it was, unfortunately the day I was there, they, um, they weren't open yet. I, I literally was there like the week before that they, they were opening. So I got a chance to interview, um, the guy who was, who was opening it and, uh, the nurse and actually she had worked with Dr. Mishulam, um, and made an introduction for uh, two people made an introduction to me to uh, Dr. Raphael Mishulam, and I actually did interview him, which was amazing. Um, but anyway, I, I think there's just a lot of possibilities here to help people, and people are really. I get the sense that they, they, there's a real appetite there for information. They 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 they're very curious. Um, and same thing with women. You know, same mm-hmm. thing with um, people in my demographic. You know, I mean. I'm a middle-aged mom. So, you know, I'm dealing with the things that everyone else is dealing with right now. Thanks to COVID, you know, insomnia, anxiety, Mm -hmm. stress, um, you know, throw on top of that, you know, like people in my age group, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're facing down, you know, menopause, we're facing down all these other things. And then, you know, at the, at the other end, you know, we have, you know, I mean, there's just such a whole range of, of, of things that, um, and there's always been a gap, I think, in women's in, in innovation around women's health care anyway, that I, I, I feel like that there is a real appetite among women for products um, that are natural. Um, and so, you know, you see that with Elementa. I mean, Elementa, I mean, that that was their whole uh, that was the, the initial beginnings of their business was to educate women on, um, you know, on, on cannabis. And um, so I, I think I think you're going to continue to see uh, interest in this. And that I really wrote this book for those people, you know, who didn't know anything about this at all. Um, because I wanted them to, I, I wanted to answer some of their questions. I want to jump back to, to those, uh, conversations you have with your family and friends about when you're, when you're starting this book and you're learning about all this industry. Cause I, I know whenever I go back to Arizona or if I go out here in New York with my buddies, I'm always like getting inundated with questions like what's going on with the industry here. What are some of these products? Like, what what's good what's not you know ranges from you know guys that are my age to when i go visit uh my friends moms and dads they all want to know what's the good cbd products so how expand more on some of those conversations that you had like was anybody trying to get a feel on how do they break into the industry or you know you have teenagers at home how was it you know telling them that you're writing a book about cannabis well i will the funny thing is when so they're going into ninth grade now so when i started this they were in sixth grade and they were so embarrassed. They were really? like, oh my God. They were like, do not tell anyone what you're working on. They were like, do not tell anyone. Like they were so embarrassed. They were really, really embarrassed. Um, we live in like a small, pretty conservative town um, outside New York City. And um, yeah, they were, they were really, um, they just, they, they, yeah, they were kind of embarrassed about it. But um I think, well, it would end up being an amazing opportunity to have really important conversations with with them, not only about substance use and what I was learning about substance use and, um, and abuse and, you know, um, 
people who are predisposed to um, substance use disorder. And, you know, I was sharing a lot of that with them. Um, it's really interesting as they were starting to take, you know, health class in school too. Um, I felt like we had some really great open discussions about, you know, um, you know, the fact that this is for people who are over 21, unless your doctor is prescribing it. And hey, by the way, it's still illegal in New York for adult use anyway. Um, and we had some great conversations during the vaping crisis. Um, about regulation and about, you know, the fact that when you're, you know, people are, people are dying, you know, when they don't know where these products are coming from. And so, you know, we, we had some really important conversations about that. And then I will say that beyond that, what started to get them really excited about the project is when I started talking to them about mass incarceration and about social justice and really explaining to them about how cannabis fits into criminal justice reform. And we've had some amazing conversations this summer during all of the protests and really linking Black Lives Matter to what I've been reporting on in the book. And I think they, they really got it. And now they're really proud. And now they, they really, you know, once they could see the connection that like, I wasn't writing about, you know, sort of, oh, you know, whatever people getting stoned, like that's not what I was writing about. Um, they, they were able to see that it was really important. Um, and that, and I, you know, that's like the best ever, you know, I just felt like we've had some really, and I, we have open conversations. So it also helps with conversations we're having about alcohol. Yeah. So I think um, it's so, you know, I think it's so interesting that, um, this is going to make me sound really old, but kids these days, the fact that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the getting high part that, that like drew them into it, like what you would think a typical teenager, but, um, they're so from a social justice standpoint, aware and hyper aware of, you know, the products they buy, the, the, the things that they use, the, you know, the places they go. Um, and the fact that, you know, it was actually the social justice issue that brought it you know, more to their mind and they were able to relate to it. Um, you know, in that regard, it makes me feel better about this country <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. So I, I mean, uh, well, I'll tell you, I went, I took them to, you know, we went, we went, we went to, a, uh, I, it was because of COVID. I really didn't want to take them into Manhattan to any of the big protests I was nervous about that, but I did take them to, there's a, a couple of high school students in our town that organized an amazing March and protest that we did go to. Um, and it was all young people, it was all teens and, you know, young college students. And I, I have so much faith. I think like the young people really absolutely do get it and they see things differently. And, um, yeah, like for them, you know, like I said, I, I think this whole issue really, really resonated with them. And I, you know, I told, I share with them some of the stories, like I told them about, and I'm sure you guys know this story and I mentioned it in the book. I talked about Wanda James and I talked about for people, you know, uh, I don't know if your, your audience probably knows who Wanda James is, but, um, you know, I told them the story about her brother and, you know, that was a real person. And it, it really, it, you know, when they, when they would hear the examples, I mean, that's just one, um, it really drove it home for them. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think for us, the conversation was much, it really transcended consumption, even though I was, was able to have some great conversations with them about the fact that I don't think that, you know, it's, it's not appropriate for them, you know, or safe for them to be using it while their brains are still developing. Right. What was the most surprising thing you learned during the course of your reporting? I didn't know. And so a few people have asked me this. I, I was actually thinking the other day that, that the biggest thing that I really didn't understand 
I didn't understand about extracts. I did not know anything about this whole world of concentrates. Like I had, I had heard about edibles, but I didn't know, again, I was not part of the subculture. Like I had never heard of dabbing. I didn't know any of the different ways that I did. I always like everyone else out there. I thought of it as flour. You know, I thought mm-hmm. of it as someone smoking mm-hmm. a joint um, because that's, you know, when I grew up, that was kind of what people did if they did. And um, so I didn't understand anything about the processing. I didn't. And so what that actually ended up being uh, eye-opening to me on a number of different levels, obviously because of the potency issue, but also the, the you know, all of the different forms. And then in, in Canada, well, there were two, two, a bunch of different ways actually that it came about in the book. But like in Canada, for example, you know, I... I wanted to explain to people that the illicit market was really light years ahead because they had figured out, you know, how to make all of these um, derivatives and all of these edibles and all of these other products. And the licensed producers were not allowed to sell those originally. And Bruce talks about that, but that really put them at a disadvantage. I mean, they just started in Canada like a minute ago. So <laughs> exactly right, right. Oh, well, exactly right. And so the government, you know, initially didn't didn't you know it was mail order, and it was so they was it was very strict on what they were allowed to um, to sell. Um, and so so there, there was that, and then also for Beth in 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 Arizona, um, her company, uh, the company that she ultimately um, you know turned into a publicly traded company in Canada, MPX. MPX stands for Melting Point Extract, and that came about because one of her original growers started teaching her about um, concentrates. And the other thing that's really fascinating about that, which I don't get into in the book, is that concentrates were actually illegal in Arizona. And so nope. they ended up really moving the operation to Nevada. And, th- and that, and now I believe MPX is still like one of the top selling. Yep. Um, Consistently. Uh, it's uh, crazy. Concentrates, right? Yeah. Yep. And that really came out. And, and one of the cool things I got to do when I, when I went to Arizona um, several years back, I actually met the guy. I met like the <laughs> guy, like the, the chemist, like the self-trained, you know, chemist that created the MPX uh, proprietary method. And, um, and that was really cool. And I like, you know, went to his lab and, um, but I didn't know, I didn't know about any of this. So if you imagine, I mean, I really didn't at all. And so, and I have to tell you, I think most people in the mainstream, they don't really understand it either. They, they, they really don't. I mean, they think of like edibles. They don't, they don't think about, well, like how does, right. they how think do you're you putting a piece of bud into brown, into brownies yeah. and that's just not right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, right. And so then you see like, so of course that's why I wanted to have Jeff in the book. You know, that's why Beth's story started to become more interesting. And Bruce also, you know, and, and, and then frankly, and Snoop, you know, because again, like with, and I talk about this in the book, you know, when he, when they rolled out Leafs by Snoop in Colorado, one of the issues was that they knew that the Chardonnay moms were going to be, that they wanted to target Chardonnay moms. That was from the beginning. That's what they were thinking about. But they knew that a lot of people in my demographic for us, like we don't smoke. And people, you know, smoking was 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 really um, becoming kind of passe because of the health risks. And so they wanted to do edibles. Well, guess what? Snoop has said publicly that he doesn't like edibles. He doesn't do edibles. So they had this like conundrum of like, well, but they knew that edibles would be something that a more of a mainstream, you know, sort of um, a kind of curious 
uh, type of person would, would try over, you know, necessary, you know, smoking. And so they ended up pushing forward. And so I talk about in the book, you know, how they decided to come up with the flavors and, and all of that. But that was very, very strategic on their part um, because they, they knew that they needed to have that as part of their product line um, in order to appeal to, the, to, to you know, women and, um, you know, Chardonnay moms. Mm-hmm. You, you talked about uh, a couple of uh, uh, fun stories, like hanging out with Bruce, doing some stuff with Beth. What what would you and obviously we want people to read the book, so we don't want you to give away all of your fun. <laughs> on this, but what would you say was your most memorable adventure? What what was what's a really good story that uh, you got coming out of all this reporting? Oh my god, there's so many. Um, <laughs> um, well, one of the one of the things that didn't make it into the book that your your audience might appreciate is I actually spent three days inside MedMen. Um, right really? before I did, right before they went public, it was like, I was there, I spent like three days with them, um, in February of 2018. And, um, that was really interesting. And I, they let me go to a bunch of their like marketing. I was there actually when they came up with the name for Ember for their magazine. I actually was in that meeting. Um, I saw the therapy room that they talked about, you know, and all these oh, lawsuits about, yeah. so I actually saw, I saw the room and my husband and I watched billions. So yes, I, remember I was going to say that. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like oh. and then the other thing that happened on that trip was I found out that they, um, they had a book club and, and Adam Bierman had assigned everyone in the company to read this book called winner take all which is about the birth of Las Vegas and about the Las Vegas uh, casino titans, um, you know, who, who kind of built Las Vegas. Um, because he always, he, I remember he said this in the interview, he felt like comparing, um, he felt like comparing um, cannabis legalization to alcohol was like a lazy metaphor that he really felt like it w- was more like legalizing gambling. Um, and in terms of like the licenses and, and the way it's regulated and whatever. And so it was interesting. So yeah, then they, he, I walked around the company and everybody had those on their, that, that book on their desk it was written by a former, um, Wall Street Journal reporter. Um, and what else? Uh, I went into some of their grows. I, I visited their downtown LA store, which is just opened because it was February of 2018. Um, and then I, and then I was also, I went to, I wasn't there for the opening, but I was there the night before they opened the, uh, the dispensary on fifth Avenue. Um, and I really, you know, had hoped in the beginning, I really thought that, that, uh, that Adam and MedMen would be a major part of this book. Um, and then, I mean, to be honest, they, you know, they started getting hit with a bunch of lawsuits and they, they kind of said, they kind of cut off the access. Right. So that was that. It was a little disappointing, but it didn't matter because I had all these other great characters. But that was really fascinating. I mean, I, I think that that's not really in the book at all. But um, for your listeners, you know, who know what's happened, it was really fascinating for me to have spent that time with them and to have access to them and then to see what happened. Well, so uh, that and- was really interesting. And I have to imagine this book shows you just how fast, I mean, we joked about it in the beginning, but just how fast life moves in this marketplace. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Bruce Linton isn't, isn't where he was 
Beth Stavola isn't where she was. Um, right. you know, <laughs> and you know, in the two years it took you or so to write this book, um, uh, what was the biggest perspective shift that, that you had as a result of your reporting? Um, I mean, there's so many, uh, but I would say, I think the biggest thing for me as an outsider is that like, I, I, I think that, um, I think that, that legalization, you know, is not, it's not like you flip a switch and then like, okay, okay. It's legal now. Like it's really complicated. It's super complicated from a public policy point of view, from a law enforcement part of point of view, from a business point of view. I mean, there's just so many societal implications. And I think that um, as, as an outsider, you just, you don't get that. You don't understand. You don't, I, I think, in, unless you, so I think there's that. And I think also the fragmented nature of the industry. I was not, I, so I did not understand how difficult it is to build a business and certainly some type of national brand when you have, um, such a fragmented market, um, and and including supply chains. Um, so that, you know, so that, and then the last thing I'll say is I, the, the other thing is I did not, I really didn't appreciate how male and white dominated the industry is. And why and why that is until I until I spent this time um, in the you know really on the ground meeting mm-hmm. all the people and players I did not understand I didn't understand the barriers to entry um, and I didn't understand how the current uh, situation is continuing to keep a lot of people out even with equity programs that have been in place and and how long. And, you know, how embedded things like structural racism um, and, and, you know, and, and, and um, uh, structural sexism, frankly, you know, and how, you know, how, how those systems in place have, and we see it in in tech, by the way, as well. I mean, there's so many parallels to Silicon Valley, um, and maybe that's why I was more sensitive to it, but, you know, just the idea of being able to raise capital for a startup it's really hard to be um, to be a minority or to be a woman. And then on top of it, we're talking about a federally legal uh, product. So mm-hmm. I, I, all of that I thought was, those, those are three things I would say that I probably learned the most um, and I came to appre- appreciate. And I really appreciate these entrepreneurs, to be honest with you. Like I it's huge risks. They're I have taking. a lot of respect for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I also, again, you know, that really made for entertaining material, I think, because they all have a reason you have to be motivated in a really passionate way. You, you, you have to, you have to want to risk it all to, to take, to, I mean, there has to be something that is motivating you to take these risks. And each person in the book had different reasons why. Um, but you have to be so driven and you have to be uncomfortable with uncertainty and the fact that it could all fall apart tomorrow. I mean, literally could all fall apart tomorrow and your assets could be seized. And you're, I mean, I I never, I just had never encountered people like that before. And I just thought that was really interesting. Well, Heather, um, we're on to our last question. We're thankful so much for you joining us on the show. And we're excited. This, we have a final question for you. It's one that we ask okay. all of our guests. 
Um, but yeah. we really love asking it, um, especially when we have journalists like yourself on. Um, and that's, what do you think is the biggest untold story of the industry? So if you were going to see on the front page of the New York Times, the LA Times, what's the untold story about the cannabis industry that you, do you think should be put out there? Well, I mean, I, some of this, ha I think, has been told. There are some, like the Spotlight team at the Boston Globe, I think, has done some, some reporting on this, as well as the Baltimore Sun. But I do think that there needs to be more reporting on the way these, some of these equity programs have been uh, manipulated and exploited. And, and, uh, and I think that there's a lot of... Um, I, I think that there's a lot of... Um, I, I, I think that there are big players that have been able to take advantage of programs that were meant to help other people. And because of the way the industry has evolved, um, that the folks that really should be prioritized are not necessarily getting those opportunities for, for a variety of reasons. I think I'd like to see more reporting on that because I think that at the end of the day, um, I think moving forward, and I think it's just really important when you think about things like restorative justice. And um, I, I just, I, 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 and, and that story has been told, as I said, in certain, some places on, um, I, I, you know, um, and uh, MJ Biz Daily has sent some reports around, you know, looking at um, ownership in various states. Um, I talk about it in the book a little bit, uh, but I, I think, I think that's important. Um, for the public to understand um, and making sure that there are checks and balances that, you know, that those programs move forward, helping people that they really should be helping. Um, what else? And I think, uh, what else? I think there's a, I mean, there's so many things. There's so many things. I mean, I think, I think, I mean, I, I, I think it's amazing to me that we had, that there's no technology yet that really deals with impaired driving yet. Oh, I think that's yeah. really important and that has not been solved yet. And I ha and that is, that's gotta be part of the conversation. And we're talking about societal impact. Um, and I think the last thing that has not been reported on much, but it does, I find it worrying as a mother of teens is um, I just saw last week that Colorado's latest healthy kids report is showing that there's a spike in um, kids uh, dabbing and using, you know, highly potent, um, concentrates. And that worries me. Um, and I think parents, parents don't understand, you know, and I look, it's a totally different story if you're an adult. Um, but I just feel like there's not a lot that there's just, there's so much about this industry, um, that at the grassroots level that I think a lot of, that there's just a lot of, um, ignorance around what the products are and what they do. And I mean, I was just talking to somebody, I'll give you one last, this is, this is about adults, but I was just uh, at something recently, a socially distant thing um, with someone that was telling me a, t a story about someone that had gone to a party and there was a person that showed up that had a medical uh, card and was handing out gummies and everybody at the party, everyone was drinking wine and they were already you know, kind of buzzed from the wine and they didn't know anything about the onset from the gummies. They didn't know what the dosage was. They didn't know anything. And this person's like handing them out. Well, you know, guess what? People got sick. And so I think that's, you know, I think that has been told in some ways, but in a very kind of sensational way. So I, I think there's a lot of reporting that needs to be done just to educate the public on all of these products. And I think the brands can do that. Right. I really do. I think the brands can do it. And I think actually, they're going to earn consumer trust 
um, by doing that and, and by, by um, making sure that um, people who want to use their products responsibly know how to use them. Um, so I don't know. I guess that's kind of a long answer. I mean, I could go on and on. <laughs> no, I, I love that. It's so interesting. <laughs> well, so that, so there is one more question then. Does this change um, your, your reporting in the future? So are you going to be covering more, um, you know, uh, about the industry in general, about social justice issues? Is there another book or, or is it like slow your roll and just let me get this book out the door? got you know projects in my back pocket um i i i don't know i think i will always continue to write about innovators and disruptors and i love writing about entrepreneurship i love writing about business i don't i don't i'm not sure if i'm going to continue to cover cannabis necessarily um i like i feel like i learned so much and i probably could continue to report on it i'm not quite sure yet i still i want to see what happens tomorrow that's totally fair you know come out yeah like i don't really know i mean i will say that um you know like it's it's it is like running a marathon and um it's it's, it's a I'm so happy to be at the finish line, but in a lot of ways, it's kind of the starting line because yep. now the book is actually <laughs> coming out. Yep. So to be, I, I'll say to be continued, but I love reporting. I love storytelling. I love doing this type of genre. I love narrative. It's so fun. It's so fun writing about a serious topic, but finding a way to make it interesting and accessible to people. So whatever I do next, it'll probably be in that same type of genre. Um, I just, it's just a lot of fun. And I, I, again, I feel so fortunate as a, as a journalist to have a lot, it's really a luxury to be able to spend years learning about a topic, um, and meeting all these, you know, hundreds of people across the country and the world to, um, put the project together. So, so yeah. I, well, no, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, thank you so much. So we've been talking to Heather Cabot. Her new book is called The New Chardonnay, The Unlikely Story of How Marijuana Went Mainstream. Um, Heather, thank you so much for your reporting on this. Um, I think it's a really important book. We'll have a link um, in it or uh, in our show notes here. Um, it can be found everywhere, right? It can be found everywhere. If you're interested in the audio book, you can download it on Audible. Um, and if you want to support your local independent bookstore, that's always a good thing too. You can call and, and order it if they don't have it in stock. Yes, we love that. We'll make sure that we uh, we stick a link in the show notes. Um, Heather, thank you so much again. This has been a real a real pleasure. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for all you do. Very special thanks to Heather Cabot. Her new book is called The New Chardonnay, The Unlikely Story of How Marijuana Went Mainstream. It can be found everywhere. Um, we are big fans of independent bookshops, so please go support them. We'll stick some links in our show notes um, to ways that you can buy it. Um, and as always, thanks for listening. If you want to chat with us, check us out on Twitter at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. Feel free to drop us an email, greenrush at KCSA. Always looking for feedback and guest ideas. And then don't forget to subscribe to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's one take, Shay. One take.